Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Hey everyone, this is me, Andrea. Thank you for tuning in. This is my first podcast. I am so excited. My special guest is my dad. His name is Dr. Jason D. And he is joining me today because he outlasted my mom. That's why <laughs> he's here. Hey, winning by default is still winning. Thank yes. you. So he, my mom was supposed to come. And it took me so long to get my audio and video set up just the right way. And then of course, right when we started, you know, shit hit the fan. So basically it took almost three hours for us to get started. So thank you for coming in after working a full day. I appreciate it. And we're going to jump right in. Okay. All right. So, uh, Dr. Jason D, how did you become my dad? You know, it's a long story. And when you think about it, it was, it, it was a lot of things that just happened to be at the right time at the right place. Mm -hmm. I married my high school sweetheart and we had 16 wonderful years together married. We had two uh, wonderful children. And at the time, I think things were going great right up until I found out that she had metastatic lung cancer. She'd never been a smoker. She'd been fairly healthy. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. We did the best we could for three years. But finally, after a long battle, she passed away. So I was kind of on my own with uh, two kids, Maddie and Michael, eight and six. And so uh, wondering what the next uh, step in my life was going to be when I was going through it all. And I, I swore I would never get married again. And I thought that that was, you know, I would be happy with that way. But I realized I wasn't a very good mom and dad to my kids. And I wasn't very happy that way either. Yeah. And I would, I would go to work out every morning because it would kind of clear my head and, and then I would get ready for the day. And uh, the coffee shop that I went to afterwards, I met Delia. Uh, she was the barista there. And she saw, I never talked about, you know, what was going on in my life. She just knew that I was there and she saw that I was a little, uh, I was a little down. So after she gave me my coffee, she would ask me how my day was or just, and I would just reply some sort of like bland pleasantries and just sit down there. And, but she still knew that I wasn't quite right for some reason. Mm -hmm. And she would sit down and she'd just say hi to me and talk to me when she had a break. And once in a while, she'd bring me a piece of toast and uh, we'd just chat for a little bit. And this went on for about six months until one day that she uh, told me that she was planning on um, going on a mission trip. She needed a health exam before she went on the mission trip and had to get her shots before going to Haiti. And she asked if uh, I could do that. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll take care of that. And she come on by. And, and that's when I realized, wait a minute, this is, you know, this, um, and at this, all this time, I learned a little bit more about her that she had twins when she was 17. She'd raised them all on her own, put herself through school to be a barber, and had raised two uh, college-educated daughters who had careers of their own. And, and uh, one was married, uh, happily married with, uh, with a wonderful boy. And the other one was a teacher at Niqua, and they were both doing well. And somehow she's managed to get through all that, um, despite a couple of, uh, actually three husbands that really weren't there. <laughs> I was number four. 
And, uh, number four. And it worked. Yeah, it worked out great. So, and I'm proud to be number four. Thank you. <laughs> and the last. And the last. <laughs> so, and I, I thought, wow, what a, what a wonderful human being. And then she asked me to be her doctor. And I was like, you know, I really can't be her doctor because I want her to be in my life. So after I finished talking to her, I was still kind of confused. She visited me once and, you know, I did the exam and then I gave her the medicines and the shots and sent her on her way and said, look, I have to talk to you tonight. I called her later on and said, look, I have to talk to you. And so I came, I stopped, I said, okay, if I stop by and say, uh, talk to you. And so she said, sure. So I stopped by and I told her, look, I can't be your doctor. And she told me, why, why not? Is there something wrong? I'm like, no, I think there's something special about you and I want to get to know you better, but I can't do that as, a, as your physician. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do it as, as your friend first. And then maybe if there's something more, we could be something more. That's how I met your mother. That's a long winded way of saying that's how I met your mother. And when did you know you were going to marry her? I wish I had some sort of great, funny, romantic anecdote that would say that, oh, wow, this is the, that, that's when I knew it, she was the one, right? But it was more, uh, you have to be with someone for a year and you see their ups and downs. You see what makes them laugh or cry. You see what makes them happy or sad or angry. Mm-hmm. And you realize, and, and they see what you, and, and they see you for what you are too. And they realize that, you know what, we, we work well together, but more than that, we bring out, we bring out the best and sometimes the worst in each other, but most, more often the best. And that's when you know that on the whole of it, this is the person for you. So it, if it sounds like some sort of mathematical equation, it isn't. It's just that it's a feeling you have when you look at the person and, and you're just hanging out with the person, looking them in the eye, and you're just watching a movie together and you realize, you know, I could easily sit here at this park bench and with you forever. And you, I, I could easily sit, sit here and watch TV with you forever because I know that just being around you, I don't mind growing old. Because mm. I know I'm not going to grow old alone. I, I'm not going to be afraid of like growing old or dying because I've got you around. Mm. How did Michael and Maddie take it? You know, I may not be the best person to ask about that because when you're going through pain yourself, you kind of have a blind spot about how, what other people are doing. Yeah. I can only speculate afterwards. I thought that um, the thing is I could see when, when Anne first passed away, Michael was the more emotional of the two and he was sad, but he got it out of his system. Mm-hmm. And when he met Delia, mom, too, they call it, as they call her, yeah. um, he, he took to her pretty quickly and he was good with it. Maybe because he was younger too. Um, he took to her quickly and they bonded well. Maddie was a tougher nut. Uh, she didn't show outward like grief as much as Michael did, although I knew she was hurting inside. I just didn't know how to get get through to her or talk through her emotions because mm-hmm. I could barely talk through my own emotions. Yeah. So I think she, um, she kind of repressed it a little bit more. And so when, when Delia came around, she was enthusiastic at first, but then she's like, there's a little part of her that goes, well, what if this doesn't last? Or, and the first time that, you know, that they have a disagreement, it's like, wait, this isn't going to work out, you know? Yeah. So it took her a little more time to bond. She eventually did, but I think she's still somebody that it, it takes her a little longer to like, re- to really, really bond. She doesn't bond as quickly. And I think she, she takes longer, but she does do it. It yeah. just takes her longer. Well, I remember 
meeting you and Michael and Maddie because I met you guys all three at the same time. Oh. And it was at mom's house okay. and you guys came over mm-hmm. and she made my favorite meal. And I was just like, and I'm fine. I'm, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And you guys came over and I just remember Maddie clinging to her. Mm-hmm. And and by that time, I guess they had already known each other and mm-hmm. built up a rapport. And I just remember looking at Maddie and mom, um, you know, during, you know, over the course of the night and thinking, oh, they're going to be so great for each other because they... At that time, um, that was when Maddie, right before her kind of like high school and, you know, rebellious years mm-hmm. began. And yeah. she was just that little girl. And I saw and my mom is a, is a daughter's mom, right, yeah. with me and my sister. And it was the most beautiful thing. And I just remember in that moment thinking, this is going to be great. This mm-hmm. is going to be great. Because we had, she had already kind of prepped my sister and I and we were just kind of like, well, I hope, you know. All things considered, I would really say that Delia is the right kind of mom for Maddie. Mm-hmm. Um, even if Maddie doesn't know it, you know. Oh, I think Maddie knows it. I, I, I think it's hard, though, because yeah. when you're the daughter, and I guess there has to be some feelings of you don't want to replace your parent. And here's an, another mom coming in and, you know, you call her mom and nod. And even with you, some, mm-hmm. most of the time I call you, if, if we're at the house or something, mm-hmm. I call you Jason. Right. Um, when I introduce you to anyone, really, I always call you dad because you are a dad. You are like mm-hmm. the dad, you know, for me. And I'm so appreciative of that because Thanks. almost all of our, our lives, um, we didn't have that stable mm-hmm. um I guess, primary father figure always um, around and just to have you even as an adult and just with the boys and, you know, as, as not only grandfather to them, but also just dad and helping John and I like figure out car decisions and home decisions. And then, you know, two weeks ago, you were helping us put in the hardwood, you know, the floors upstairs and just those are the the things that I value the most. And I just, Thank you. yeah. But I, 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 I never mentioned it. I have to mention it. This, I, there is a richness to my life that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't had you. Mm-hmm. And we were watching a, a, an episode of like Chicago fire or something like that, where this, uh, one of the paramedics finally meets her adoptive mom and her mom is all apologetic about, you know, I was 16. I had to abandon you. And I looked at Delia. I was like, thank goodness. You know, you didn't give up, oh. you know, Alex and Andrew for adoption when you were 17 because can you imagine how much less rich our lives would be right now you know so I, I no so I was like thank goodness and like I got you know that God had her hang on to you yeah. like she did because yeah so she was gonna to she was thinking about um what to do too as a teenager oh yeah right and then you know there goes college and all of a sudden you got to make a living yeah you know so I and there's a path not taken but on the other hand, it's the way it worked out, I, I have to say that there's there's some divine hand in it that, that made us be together. And, I, and that's why I was like, well, I can't screw up God's gift to me, so I'm going to hang on to this. <laughs> I just, I remember for a little while thinking, man, my mom was on, you know, you know, when you go through, when you as a child see your mom go through three marriages mm-hmm. and, you know, you kind of lose, I don't want to say hope, but 
you're just not really optimistic about the number four. Right. And you're no, not, like, you're certainly not sure. So maybe I was she's not that good at picking them is what you're thinking. No, <laughs> you know what? No, it, no, it's not that she's not good at picking them because she picked you. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just incomplete or incompatible matches. Yeah. So that's how we became a family. Yeah. And now you guys are celebrating your 10 year anniversary. Yep. So. That's going to be fun. That will be. Well, I'm looking forward to having all of you there. So yeah. it'll be fun to, for us to go there. Yep. So let's move on. Tell me about your work. Tell me about what you do. Tell me about anything you want to talk about, really. Well, um, I'm an internist. So my undergrad was at U of I down in Champaign. And I did my medical school at University of Illinois uh, up in Chicago. Uh, and then I, my residency at Loyola. After residency... Uh, I settled in Naperville uh, with DuPage Medical Group, and I work as an internal medicine physician in Na South Naperville, 139th there. This will be my 25th year. I've been very fortunate that I've been able to stick with the same job, same location for 25 years, and things worked out really well in that respect for me. I've had the great fortune of being able to establish a practice and meet some wonderful folks and be able to like really put down roots somewhere and have a a really uh, wonderful population of people that I could meet and take care of. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those things that I've, uh, as a kid, we moved around a lot. My mom and dad, we immigrated from the Philippines. So, um, what age were you? Four. So we came. Do you remember the Philippines at all? Yes. It was hot. It was humid. And there were geckos and avocados. That's about it. So <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot of beautiful things there. I just didn't notice them when I was a little kid. Yeah. Have you been <laughs> so. back there? No, I haven't. Um, Any desire to? I One day, but not. it's not a burning desire for me. I'm ashamed to say it because all the family, all my cousins, they're here now. Yeah. So if I want to go, it's, it's either in you know Chicago or Toronto or yeah. um, California. They're all there. Mm -hmm. So I, my family's here, and that's so therefore my home's here. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel it. To me, it's just a spot on the map now. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't. There's nothing. Nothing that you don't want to. You don't want to know your roots. It's well. It was my roots for those four. My roots are really here in the Midwest. I, yeah. mean, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in the South Side of Chicago. I mean, this is this is really where I went. Did you to. grow up in the South Side? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah Palos, Oaklawn. Okay. I went to Marist High School. <laughs> nice Catholic school. You know. You guys. So you guys grew up Catholic? Yes. I did not know this. Did you raise Michael no. and Hattie Catholic? No, I didn't. My mom and dad weren't strictly Catholic. They were Christian. They sent me to a Catholic school because they thought it had a better education. And they were, oh. they were really, you know, they were like you know, all Asian parents. You know, they got to have a good education. So, of course, they sent, you know, they, they, they picked the best Catholic high school they could send me to and they <laughs> sent me there. <laughs> so how did you know you wanted to be a doctor? Oh, it, it was because of the Asian vocational program where my mom and dad figured out that I was good at math and science. And so they told me I was going to be a doctor. And that was pretty much it. I did not want to be a doctor. I was thinking maybe if I could be, I would, was going to be a police officer or a detective because I like solving things. And yeah. I, or a chef because I like to cook and create things. But I really didn't, you know, I rebelled against that for a long time. Do you regret it? Or do you, do you regret not going into another profession? No, I think about it. And I was like, you know, really? maybe once, one of these days when I retire from being a doctor, if, if I'm still healthy enough and I, you know, if I stay in shape and I'm still healthy enough, maybe I could 
do something else with my life and I'd love to try something different, something creative, right? That it, yeah. if I'm not worried about having to, to like make a living um, and I wanted to just create something, maybe I could cook or uh, sculpt or draw or do something else. Yeah, because like, you're a hobbyist. Yeah, I like painting. I like um, painting miniatures. I like drawing. I like creating things. So it would be it would be fun to do those sorts of things. And just, just for my own sake, I don't have to make a lot of money at it. It wouldn't matter, really. It's just, just to make my own piece of art or something like that. It'd be just kind of cool. Okay, so dream job, what would it be? <sighs> dream job? Yeah. Let's see. I think it would be to be able to travel as a chef around the world. Really? Yeah. Because I could make things for folks, and then I could, but I could get to travel and see different people and different things. And while I'm doing that, I could learn about different places, and I could incorporate that into my food. Yeah, it's something that I could, and it'd be a, a different. You know, you wouldn't always get, you know, a thermidor oven or you know, yeah. the range that you want. You have to make do with what you got. You know, what if you don't have fresh cream or something like that? But yeah. you still have to make a dessert. Well, you know, then you've got to figure out other sources of sweeteners and creams and, and fats you could make something out of and then you have to, and it's a challenge and i think it's like solving a puzzle but also creating something beautiful uh -huh. and i think those are the two things that i like doing anyway yeah so that'd be my dream job so a chef so when you retire then you'll travel the world yeah and cook well or take cooking classes wait do you, you know? think you'd stop working as a doctor like would you retire as a doctor or do you think you'd stop and maybe pursue something else I, you know, I do love what I do for a living. I mean, because you get to help people and you still get to solve problems and you get to take care of folks. And, and that's, and that's always going to be a part of me, but to like, you know, get the license mm -hmm. and establish a practice and, you know, uh, do the marketing and, and get the, and, and pay the bills and stuff like that. Uh, if I didn't need to do I that. I got your marketing on lock. Okay. Yeah. And, I got your marketing. Yeah. Well, I mean, but and, then, and then dealing with insurance companies and billing and electronic that. medical records and paperwork and disability forms. Boy, there's a lot of stuff that I got, you know, it's a couple yeah. hours every day that I do that's not related to patient care. Yeah. And it's like, well. And that's, maybe, that's changed probably in the last, what, 10 years? It, it has. And it's like, maybe I don't want to deal with those things anymore because, and I just, you know, would, would still like to do something and, and be a benefit to people and, and um leave the world a little better than I found it because if I'm still able to, I'd still like to make the world a little better place. Mm -hmm. it, it's just that maybe I wouldn't like to deal with the, those sort of details. Anymore. Yeah. You know, there's a, I guess there's, you know what I say? It's like, there's a difference between making a living and, and living. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, do, your profession is making a living. Right. Right. It's making a living. I, I'm still living. It's mm -hmm. just that you've also got to make a living and that's the like the overhead you got to do when you're yeah. it's like you have a business and you've got to take care of the overhead right mm -hmm. but one day when you make enough money and you don't have to worry about overhead quite so much what are you going to do for a living what what gives purpose and meaning to your life you know it's like what kind of a person am i really then right i would like to be the kind of person that um would always strive to be a better person and that if you're really a, a Christian, you don't have to tell people that. You just have to act like that. And they can figure it out themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's way more believable. If you live like Jesus in that you treat others as you would want to be treated yourself and you strive to make the world like heaven on earth, then maybe people can figure it out themselves and maybe they'll, they'll want to do it themselves too. 
Mm-hmm. And if and in that, you know, if God gave you some talents about like being able to help others and being creative, maybe I'll get a chance to use those too, and He'll still let me have enough energy and vitality to to still and resources to to, to for my second act of my life to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any regrets at this point? Like when you look back on your life and your profession and your family well you know i i guess my only re- regret was that when i was going through my grief i wish i could have been a little bit more aware of what maddie and michael were going through and it, it i it's hard to explain but you're living but you're not really you're just existing kind of mm-hmm. and so a lot of times I was kind of like well I got to get through this day at work and I got to get through this these papers and I got to provide food and I got to pick them up from school and in all the deep I would get lost in the weeds of my life and not really see the big picture mm-hmm. and I wish I'd had because if I could have I would have been able to recognize the pain that Maddie and Michael were going through and I I didn't really pick up on it as well as I should have I knew that I wasn't good at it, mm-hmm. and I knew I needed somebody there. Mm-hmm. Hence, the, the part of the reason I was looking for somebody like Delia. Mm-hmm. But I, I wish I could have been better at it at mm-hmm. the time too. You know. Have you ever talked to them about that? Um, Michael, uh, Maddie, not so much. You know. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a household that we didn't share our emotions a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my parents ever said I love you ever to me really yeah but I knew they did yeah but I didn't know it at the time but now I know typical yeah Asian strict things like that and I and I know that she loves me it's just that I it's not the kind that you yeah it's not that expressive right mm-hmm. so I never figured out how to do it myself you know until later on in life I, I had to figure it out on my own which you know? is crazy because to me you are one of the most open and uh I would say emotionally aware people that I know. Well, I mean, it, it was, I think my Asian childhood was pretty much like every other first generation immigrant Asian childhood. Explain that to me because I, I don't know what that's like. I only know what growing up Mexican is like. Oh, well, for us, I mean, we came from the Philippines. We were four years, I was four years old. My brother was three. And, you know, we didn't know the language. So English was a second language for us at first. You couldn't tell that now because we've grown up here all the time but mm-hmm. we started off here and my my mom and dad my dad had to work nights making teeth he was a dentist in the philippines but that didn't count here he had to take the test over again my mom was a pharmacist and that didn't count either so she had to take pharmacy school over the two so one of the two had to stay home and take care of us because we were little and the other one would make a living to support us so my dad made teeth uh, during the daytime because he was good with his hands and then he went to dental school at night and so we lived out of a little one studio apartment for a while until we got enough money and got an apartment with uh, two bedrooms and, uh, in Oak Park. And we lived there until my dad was uh, robbed one day and he got away and he, they wanted him to buzz him up so they could rob us. But as he pretended to fumble for his keys, he uh, ran inside the door, locked it and ran upstairs and uh, saved us from getting robbed. So wow. that's when we knew we kind of had to leave Oak Park at the time. And so, now Oak Park is so safe. Now it's all gentrified. It was not when we were there. Crazy, yeah. So anyway, and we would move from place to place, always getting a little bit better. My dad would finally finish uh, school, and we would always find a little bit nicer place, and uh, we'd move from town to town until, you know, we finally settled in Palos for a little while. Uh, and he, was, he became a dentist uh, up in the north side. 
So all this time, you know, it, it meant my parents ingrained in my brother and I that we're making these sacrifices for you so that you could have a better life. So you're going to do your best. You're going to study hard and you're going to be successful no matter what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to work hard. And that, that was it. And the way to success is education. And you're going to go to college. You're going to go to graduate school, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. you're going to be successful. And that was, that was that. So that was my upbringing. And that's how they showed they loved you because they sacrificed all this and they, yeah. they, they pushed you to work hard. And that, that was my upbringing. It made my brother and I hardworking and determined. Mm-hmm and high achievers, it didn't necessarily make us emotionally very open. Mm -hmm. um, we were polite, but outside yeah. of that, we didn't really know how to express our emotions or socialize all that much. And, and that was not until I went to college and met my uh, first wife. And then much later, um, when I met Delia, that I really opened up a lot more. So it's... It's, uh, it's evolving. Yeah. You really, really, you had to... I evolved a lot more and it grew. And that's what I really am thankful for with, with Delia and the families that I really had to grow into the job. Mm -hmm. How do you not take your work home with you? Right? Because as a doctor, I mean, you see the spectrum. Sure. You do take your work home with you. I mean, when I first started, it would, it would, you'd worry about stuff all the time. Did I make the right call? Did I give the right medicine? Is that, was that too much? Or did, you know, how did I miss that? You know, and you'd think that all the time and it would, it still bugs me sometimes. But then the more experience you get, the more you realize, oh, wait, I've seen this before. Mm -hmm. Or I know how this one's going to go. Or yeah, from my experience, I've been able to deal with this before. I've seen this pain before. You know? mm -hmm. So it, the more experience you have and the more times you interact with folks and see this different spectrum of people, the less things are new to you. Mm -hmm. And then the less afraid you are of like meeting these situations then. Yeah. Then you go home at the end of the day thinking, okay. Right. I, it, there's a lot of things in life that we don't know. And there's a lot of things you can't cure. Mm -hmm. But I think I've done the best that I could to treat it. And, that, and that's going to have to be good enough. And I'll be able to sleep on that. So I have a job where you get to meet all sorts of different people at their most intimate level. Maybe not their emotional level, but certainly their, their, yeah. their, their, You're their, physical, their physical level. Yeah. Right. And so you get to know folks on an intimate level about their body and also about their mind, their emotions and stuff like that. And that's, it's a, a privilege. It's a wonderful privilege to get to know so many different people on, on that level and have them trust you and have them feel that you, you can help them, not just on a physical level, but on an uh, emotional or maybe sometimes spiritual level to live a better life, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that's what being a physician's all about. It's not about the drugs or the treatments or the, the, the surgeries. It's really about your life, right? It's about living your life and how you could do that to the best of your ability mm -hmm. and what I can do to help you do that. So you're having that journey together with all these folks. They grow old. You grow old, too. Mm -hmm. And you're going to grow old with them, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and when they're gone, and one day you'll be gone, too, and, and, and that's fine. You know that that's, that's just the way the cycle of life is, and it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. What if you have a patient who maybe they're not taking care of themselves and when they're coming back and you realize the rate of healing or treatment isn't as it should be. Do you ever get frustrated with that? How do you deal with patients who maybe don't listen or... Or they don't understand what I'm trying to say. So if, if somebody doesn't do what, what you think would be the best course of action, 
What do you say? I teach medical students and nurse practitioners as well from like Rush and Chamberlain. I tell them that your job actually as a physician or a caregiver, you're in sales actually. And you've got to sell How folks. How so? Oh, you have to sell folks on that this is the best course of treatment. There's a lot of alternative treatments out there. Come on. I mean, Just, I love alternative treatments. Don't get me right, wrong. I love right. alternative treatments. So Western medicine isn't the only kind of medicine. There's plenty of alternative therapies. Ayurvedic, there's you know acupuncture, there's herbal medicine. I'm glad you're you know? saying that because I think more people are should be aware of that. No, just because they walk into your office doesn't mean they live in a bubble and have never heard of these. As a matter of fact, they probably do some of these things. And sometimes my job as your physician is that, you know, I know I'm aware of these other alternatives. You might want to go to a chiropractor for your back pain. As long as it doesn't hurt you, go right ahead, right? Let me just check and make sure you didn't bulge a disc so that when they adjust you, you don't make it worse. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then let me see if I can persuade you that this alternative with physical therapy, this alternative with maybe an epidural steroid injection, this alternative with maybe a laminectomy might be a good thing that for you to do. Uh, it might be your best choice. Let me explain. You know, and when, when folks don't agree with me, I wonder if it didn't do a good enough job explaining it or they have a reason that they really don't want to do it. Like my uncle had this surgery and his back was bad forever. And, you know, that, you know, it's a bad family experience and I get it, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes I won't be able to convince you of that. But hopefully more times than not during the course of our relationship together as my patient. Maybe I'll get you to have enough good habits and, and, yeah. and point you in the right direction enough times that on the whole, your life will be better for it. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. People aren't robots. You know, you can't just punch in a few numbers and they'll do what you do. No, you just, you can prescribe things, can suggest things and, and you, on the whole, you just, they're, they're going to do it or not do it. Hopefully if, if you have a good doctor patient relationship, they will listen to you and they'll do it more often than not. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, at least from my perspective, we look at doctors as authority figures. And what you say mm -hmm. is what I'm going to take. Although I think we have to compete now, uh, more so than we ever did, uh, with other forms of information, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's the internet's got plenty of sources, some good, not some not so good, right? Mm -hmm. And so hopefully I can help point you like, hey, this is a good source for it. Or maybe this isn't such a good source for it, you know? Yeah. So, and, yeah. and so we have to compete and we have to be aware of that and we have to be ready to be questioned though. So you can't feel hurt about like somebody not agreeing with you or somebody feeling they have a different source of information about it. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Just people come in with their WebMD. Sure. They do. Now, hey, I think I have. Uh, to which I say. That's what I do. I'm glad you looked it up. Let's yeah. talk about that. You know? Yeah. And maybe that's like, this is good information or this is, you know what? I think this is information was from this source and I think that their bias is like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's another study that says this, right? Mm -hmm. So sh this might be a better answer. Or you know what? Sometimes I see this, uh, they, they bring stuff up and like, you know, I really hadn't thought about it that way. Let me think here. And then I'll, I might change my mind actually. Really? Yeah, I, I've done that, you know, where the, I looked at it and I was like, hmm, that's an interesting differential. Let's check it out, you know? What are, give me an example. Um, like what's something that you're like, wait, that really did change my mind? I, I can't, yeah, off the top of my head, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I do, but I do remember that, that people have brought stuff in and I have thought about it and, and we, we tried it out. Okay. You know? uh, usually it's like things like... Um, hormonal treatments, rare diseases. And so we, we just, usually it's some of the like uh, hormone deficiency diseases that are not thyroid, you know, it's the more rare ones. Mm -hmm. And we, we talk about it, we do some testing and see most of the time it's negative, but sometimes you'll get something. It'll surprise you. I'm like, Oh, okay. I've learned something here. 
Okay, well, let's talk about that because there's two things. One is I've heard about hormone therapy mm-hmm. and specifically for women because, you know, there's times in our lives where our hormones get out of whack sometimes or we need to regulate. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? And do you see this and what's a trend that you see? There's two kinds of hormone therapy. The kind that because you're deficient in something, let's say you had to have your ovaries removed because you had cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And, but you're only 25. So you would need hormone replacement therapy so that you wouldn't go through menopause a little too early, right? Mm-hmm. Or you want to preserve your uterus so that maybe if you have IVF later, it'd still be viable, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's replacement of something you don't have. Or your um, thyroid just burned out and you need something. Or your pancreas decided to quit early and you need insulin, right? Mm-hmm. That's replacement. The second kind of hormone therapy is what I call looking for the fountain of youth. Let's say you're a guy of a certain age and maybe your libido is just not what it used to be and your mm-hmm. energy and you, you go and work out at the gym and you just can't lift as much and, yeah. and you don't see the gains you used to and you're gaining more fat, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go and ask for growth hormone or ACTH or testosterone, you know, things like that. Do they right? just come in like, hey, doc, I need like, I need enhancement here. And they, do you just write the prescription? It's like, well, it's like, what are you looking for? And, and why do you want it, right? But then what does it matter? Why? Um, Isn't that it does. Because if you're looking to fill something in then your life. Then you still write the prescription though? No. No? No. Wouldn't you have to as a doctor? Like, hey, I kind of want this and you're the doctor, so I'm here. Write it. Actually, no. The Hippocratic Oath says, first do no harm. And if somebody wants testosterone, they already have normal testosterone levels. Yeah. And you give them testosterone, what'll happen? Okay. Well, you can develop cardiomyopathy. Your heart, your heart's a muscle like any other. It gets too big, then all of a sudden you get heart failure. Mm-hmm. You may increase your risk of prostate cancer. You know, mm-hmm. you might become psychotic. You might grow a little more acne than you should and have mood swings. So, yeah. You know, it's like, it's not But if not that's a chance you're willing you. to take? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so, no, because it's like, you cannot knowingly give somebody poison. You can't knowingly yeah. kill somebody. That, I'm you know, glad you have that's that your, ethic. That's your oath, you know? <laughs> that's your oath and you got to stick to it. You can't just give folks stuff because they throw a whole boatload of money at you and they want you to do it. <laughs> I'm here to serve you, right? Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, right? But... Service in what? You're I'm like, here not to, really. <laughs> well, I'm here to service you in the, the benefit of your health. Yes. Not in the benefit of your looks, necessarily, mm-hmm. right? And if your quality of life is that, you know, let's say you have erectile dysfunction, and I know that Viagra won't hurt you, I'll give it to you, right? But if you ask me for something that I know is going to hurt you, I, I'll tell you, you that and I won't do it. If you're obese and you need to lose some weight, And I know you have type 2 diabetes, and I know you could stand to lose some few pounds, and I know that you're trying diet and exercise. Would it be be against my oath to give you medicines to help you lose weight then? No. Mm. As long as I check your blood pressure and make sure it's not hurting you. Wait, are there medicines that we could take to help Uh, us lose weight? Yes, there are. (laughs) Wait, what? There there are so many. You don't need to see me for this one. There are many doctors who work in um, uh, obesity clinics and weight loss clinics that will uh, certainly prescribe you medicines to help you lose weight. I know what those medicines are, and I have used them in some of my patients, that it's medically necessary. Mm-hmm. But I do not want to convert my practice to a weight loss clinic. We don't want clinic. people going to your uh, right. practice. Right, not for... come to me for a weight loss clinic. That's not <laughs> what we're here for. We're here for your health, you know. But the drug exists, is what oh, you're saying. there are several classes, yes. Okay, got it. Familiar with them all. What do you see as trends right now in healthcare? There's a couple of trends. One is in the delivery of healthcare. Healthcare has kind of gone through a wave of consolidation. When I, when I got out, like 25 years ago, 80% of 
doctors were independent practitioners or they were just in a small group of five or six guys. Now, 80% of physicians are employed. And when I first came out, there was no such thing as nurse practitioners or physician's assistants. Really? And yeah. The mid-level providers just they didn't, exist. didn't exist. And now when you get to Medicare age, mm-hmm. you'll probably see a PA or a nurse practitioner for your primary care more so than you'll see a physician. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's, that's the trend is that delivery of care is going to skew less towards physicians delivering it and less towards independent practitioners, more towards you're seeing a large, you'll be um, a member of a large group, like Amita or Advocate mm-hmm. or DuPage Medical Group. You'll see delivered care by more mid-levels with physicians supervising them, and sometimes physicians when it gets a little more complicated. Uh, that's the delivery part. The second part is where people decide to get their medical information from. They'll get it from one, one avenues through their physicians or PAs or traditional medical places, but they'll also get it through the internet. They'll also get it through social media, things like that. And it'll be more fragmented. And then finally, it's like, who's paying for all this? Mm-hmm. I think that you're going to see a consolidation in the uh, payers as well, too. There's a few insurance companies right now. And who knows, maybe one day it'll just be one payer. And so I see that maybe happening as well, too. So those are the big trends, I think. How do you feel about those trends? As far as the delivery of care thing, I think we're going to need more providers because the population's aging anyway, and you're going to need more people there mm. to care for them. I mean, no matter how good you are, you can only see so many people in a day. Yeah, the, the government's simply not making any more residency seats or simply not expanding the medical schools that much to do it. And Is that I, a good thing? Well, here's the cold math. It takes four years of college, four years of medical school, three years of residency to make one doctor, right? And how much does that cost? Mm-hmm. Probably about $500,000. To make a nurse practitioner, you go through like four years of college and two years of, or two years of college and two years. So it may four to six years mm-hmm. and that, and you're done, right? So it costs half as much and they, they could pay them half as much too then. Would you recommend people who are wanting to get into the, to the medical field to go into a PA program versus a doctor program? Think of what you want to do. Being a physician is going to be a huge time commitment. And if you have another career already, if you already have a family, it's going to be a strain. Let's say you want to have a family later on. Maybe being a neurosurgeon might be a tough call. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be really, you're, you're going to be married to your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what? Let's say you want to take, you want to care for people. You do have a heart for people. You do, you do have the smarts to do this and stuff like that. You don't have to become a doctor. Yeah, you're right. Being a nurse practitioner or a PA is a very good way to care for folks and make a good living mm-hmm. and, and still serve the community and do stuff like that mm-hmm. without having maybe to sacrifice as much of your life. And I think we do need the, those, those people there to care for those folks. Mm-hmm. Do you wish you would have had that program when you were going through school? Maybe, but... I think I still would have ended up where I am because I really wanted to know more about it anyway. And it's a more intensive program. And, mm-hmm. and I had the chance to do it. I was single, so I didn't have a family to have to worry yeah. about. And so I had the opportunity. So yeah, I don't regret doing this. Mm-hmm. What's your greatest joy in life? My greatest joy in life. Hmm. I think, I think the greatest joy in life is to get to live my life with Delia and watch us grow together with our family and mm-hmm. watching them develop and 
getting to be there to be a positive influence most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, it's kind of one of the greatest choices just watching you guys grow up. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I mean, my, my sister and I, we're basically middle-aged now. No, you're not. Yeah. I'm middle-aged. <laughs> oh, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it either. I like, I, I don't like, I like getting the chance to get old and do this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and I get to, and I get to see you guys develop and I get to see the grandkids. Yeah. So, you know what, that's a, that's a great privilege to be able to do that. So I, I, I love that. What would you like to be remembered for? Hmm. All right. Well, I guess it'd be the easiest one to answer is like work-wise that I've been able to be in the same job at the same place and mm-hmm. be successful at it for 25 years um, in the same spot, right? And I think that my goal is if I could to do a good job um, and make a positive impact as many folks as I could in one spot, play for the same team my whole career and retire in the same place, at the same job that I think that's a rare and wonderful thing to be able to say you did because mm-hmm. then you leave behind a body of work and with strong roots in the ground that you said that you can look back on and be really proud of it and that that's that's what I am most proud of professionally personally and it's the same thing I'd like to be remembered for is when we all got together as a family, even though we were totally different people totally different backgrounds nobody expected you know if you had if you're putting odds on us in Vegas and it's like this would these people ever become a family or something like that you know we would there nobody would ever bet on us right to, to have people look back on us and say you know what it's when Jason and Delia got together and the families um, all came together that the, their their names their their family would be mentioned in the same kinds of families when they talk about like the big families like the Rockefellers or the Kennedys or something like that yeah they would maybe not the same strata but still when people think about like a great family they think about us and and if i could leave that as our legacy that we would always be thinking of our family first that would be something you know yeah i think that would be worth more than anything i think of i was just going to ask you what does family mean to you a family is a is a group of people that share a common love for each other and will do anything to make heaven on earth for each other here. Very well put. Very well put, Jason. Okay. I think that's about it. I don't, I don't know if there's anything else I should... Um, I think that's it. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for having me on here and making me your first official podcast. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.